Hey, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm excited to jump back in there. Before we do that, though, I went out to get my paper this morning and saw this picture. You're not going to be able to see it, but it's of a young widow with her two-month-old child on a blanket resting on the grave of her uh, deceased soldier husband. And I just realized on a weekend like this on Memorial Day that it's, it's a weekend of such celebration and so many people are doing such fun things, but we also know that so many people have made a sacrifice for us to experience the freedoms that we have. So we just want to thank you again, you soldiers in this room and you families that pay a huge price for them to do what they do. Thank you so much for serving our country and serving us as people. Let's give them one more hand. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are today. We're going to start in verse 13. But before we do that, I recently had the chance to go to my parents' home. And and actually, the home my parents live in was my grandparents' home. So it's a very old home. And so in that house, we're always discovering treasures, treasures from generations that have been passed down. And one of the treasures I found the other day was an old family Bible. And my old family Bible is not like my new, nice 2013 edition, thin line little Bible here. It's one of those, like, if I hit you with it, it would knock you out kind of Bibles. One of those 10 pound, leather bound, old and dusty Bibles. And I opened up the front leather cover. And as you know, for years, families would often write different journal entries in the inside covers of Bible, kind of using it as a a chronology or a history line of what had transpired in that family. And so I opened this one and I didn't expect to find this, but there was a journal entry from 1983, and that was when I was seven years old, and it was my mom writing down something. And you could tell just the way it was written was with excitement. She said, today, my son Robert asked me how he could go to heaven when he died. And she went on to, sh- to explain how she shared the gospel with me, how she told me how Jesus had died on a cross, rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and how if I called on his name, I could be forgiven of my sins and live with him eternally. And then she wrote down that I had walked down the aisle of my 100-year-old Baptist church publicly proclaiming that I had given my life to Jesus. It was, it was so sweet to read this account from a mother's heart of what she had seen happen in her son's life. And it got me thinking, you know, from the time that I was seven years old, I I really never doubted that I was going to heaven. And there there was a couple other things that I just knew in my inner man. I I knew that my sins were forgiven. I also knew that I, I was never alone again. And lastly, and I didn't like this one too much, but I knew when I did wrong. I mean, I had this deep conviction of sin. In fact, it would get me really frustrated when other kids got away with something. I'm like, oh, man, I just, I know when I'm doing wrong. I just, I understood what was wrong and right. And, and, and now I know that that was the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I also lived with a the frustration. There were some frustrations in me, uh, of what I didn't seem to have, and 
One of them was, I just didn't ever feel like I could really know God. Yeah, I knew I belonged to him, but I didn't feel like I had an actual friendship. People talked about friendship. I thought, you know, I, I, I'm friends with Teddy. Teddy was my best friend. And we'd go out and play ball and we'd say jokes. And, but God just seemed so distant to me. And, and, and secondly, although I felt convicted when I sinned, I just felt kind of powerless, and I kept just kind of walking into doing things that I shouldn't be doing, and it really frustrated me. I was always drawn to do the things that I didn't want to do. And then lastly, my life just didn't look like the people in the Bible. You know, the disciples, they'd see these miracles, the prophets would hear from God, people would be healed, lives would be changed. That wasn't happening around me. And I think if we could survey a church that would find that a lot of people would say, yeah, I have some frustrations of what I don't have in my Christian life. Is this really all there is to it? And I also think that there's probably some people in this room that that you've actually prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life, but you maybe don't have that same assurance. You're not sure if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you, you maybe you do feel alone. And so you're going, okay, am I really a new creation? Do I really belong to Christ? And that's what I love about this text in Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 13. If you want to go there with me. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to put them in your hands. They might have already done that. I was so enraptured in this awesome sermon that I didn't pay any attention to what was happening. Um, verse 13, it says this. And you also were included in Christ... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Today I want to unpack for you three components of the work of the Holy Spirit. Three components of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, that can be your title. Because it's imperative that you understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Now one of the sad conversations that I have, and it's unfortunately somewhat regularly, is with people who've grown up in church, who would call themselves a Christian, but who question their salvation. They wonder, am I really saved? Am I really a new person? Can I really be sure that I'm going to go to heaven when I die? And the Apostle Paul, the writer of this book, wants to answer that question, and he does so in these first verses that we were looking at. I want to illustrate it today by bringing out some of our school of transformation 
students. So if I can have the seven students that are helping me today come on out on the stage and as they do that, oh, you guys are awesome, welcoming them onto the stage. Just for you to know this kind of a day where it seems to be that we're highlighting the School of Transformation, these guys are about to go to Mongolia on their end of school outreach. So the school is nine months stateside and what is the School of Transformation? It's an opportunity for people to set aside a year. There's both a day school that meets in the mornings. There's a night school that meets one night a week and then one super Saturday. The whole purpose is for people to say, I want to set aside a year of my life to grow deeper in Jesus. So it focuses on character development, reading through and studying the whole Bible, and lastly, ministry methodolo methodology, learning to do life like Jesus. At the end of the year, and they're all excited, they go on an overseas outreach. The day school is going to Mongolia for a month. In a couple of weeks, the night school will be going to Thailand. And so these guys are going to Mongolia. Now, for the sake of illustration today, I've asked them to represent Mongolians. So can you give me your best Mongolian face, please? Perfect. Okay, some cold, some... Okay, so there's great. You can tell they've really studied Mongolia. And so these guys represent Mongolia, and the reason they're wearing black today is the whole reason we're going to Mongolia. There are very few people in the nation of Mongolia that know Jesus. In fact, in 1989, there were four documented believers, four. Now, God's moved in a powerful way. There's been tens of thousands that have come to Christ. Now the nation is 2% Christian. So... If you just had seven people, there wouldn't be a Christian in the midst, so they're all, even though there is a Christian, his name is Christian, but don't <laughs> pay any attention to that right now. <clears throat> they have black shirts on because this is what the Bible says, and we're going to cheat, we're going to move over to Ephesians 2 for a second. It says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So these guys are spiritually dead. When you think of a lost person. What that means is someone who has not committed their life to Jesus Christ. You can't think of them like a person who's saved. There are two types of people in life. There's spiritually dead ones and spiritually alive. Only people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have been born of the Spirit are spiritually alive. Everyone else is spiritually dead. So they are wearing black to symbolize that they are spiritually dead. I'll keep reading that verse because it's really interesting. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Satan, exactly. And so it's saying those who are spiritually dead actually follow him. You think, well, no, I never followed Satan. Listen to what this says in verse 3. This is the Bible speaking. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nat by nature deserving of wrath. So we deserve wrath because we follow after our own ways when we're spiritually dead. That's why we go and share the good news. So enter our stately School of Transformation short-term missionary. Here he is, right here, incredible. School of Transformation student. He even has a Mexico shirt on because he went to Mexico with All People's Church. We'll be going again, by the way. So here he is. He comes and he shares the gospel with four of these people. He doesn't get to all of them, right? We'll never get to all of them, but he, sh he shares with four different ones. Look at him, pleading, sharing, so loving, so kind. So th 
what happens is they hear the good news. So all of a sudden, they have heard. Say heard. Okay, now listen to what the scripture says in Romans chapter 10. It says this, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? Say heard. I think you're getting it. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, look, he didn't just preach. He's down on his knees. That's so sweet. He's down praying because he did his part. He shared the good news. So these four have heard. Now, let me ask you, do you get saved just by hearing? Just because they've heard, are they now new creations? No. But now they have a choice. These four right here have a choice. Will they believe? Let's see. Will you believe? Bummer. Okay, so two of them chose to believe. Okay, so what happens when they choose to believe? They are actually receiving Jesus. This, I'm just trying to make it so simple from the book of Ephesians so you can understand that something actually happens in you. So when they believe, all of a sudden Jesus comes and enters their life. Wow, look. So he comes. So sweet. He hugs Christian. Okay, so now they're believing. Now watch what Jesus does. They were dead, and that's symbolized by these black shirts, but watch what happens. Jesus comes, and he just breaks the bonds right off of them and makes it, wow, he just rips it right off, rips that darkness right off of them. The Bible says they're new creations in Christ. John chapter 3 says they are born of the Spirit. So you can tell these guys are not like the others anymore. But he doesn't just stop there. Now he does something with the Holy Spirit. They're not just new. They're actually born of the Spirit. So the Spirit comes, and look what it does. It comes, and according to Ephesians 1, it says this, that they are sealed. Having believed, so they went from heard to believed, it says, they are marked in him with a seal. Say seal. So they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So come out here, Jesus. Awesome. You can't usually do that. But um, when Jesus looks at them, he sees something different. He loves these people, but they're dead. He loves those people, but they're dead, but they've heard. But he looks at these ones, and what does he see? He sees they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh, they're mine. They're my child. Okay? And then Satan comes. And see, you know, he comes Satan comes around, and he's looking, and he's like, ah, these are mine. Ah, these, they've heard, ha, ah, they've rejected. But then he looks and goes, ah, they're sealed. Oh, no, I can't, I can't get on them. They're not mine anymore. They've been taken. When you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you no longer are the possession of the enemy. You now belong to Jesus, and there is a seal. It's like when my kids go off to school, and they have their little coats, and I don't want them to lose them, so I write down Herbers on these, and I write down Herbers on the, on, the, on the soccer ball, and other little kids, I see, they like my kids' soccer ball, so they come in, they're like, hey, hey, and they pick them up, and they're like, oh, bummer, and it says Herbers, right? Ah, this belongs to Herbers. I can't have it. They throw it down on the ground. It's what Satan does. He looks, and he goes, bummer. These guys belong to Jesus. In the spiritual realm, you are sealed. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you, guys.
That's what they're going to be doing in Mongolia, going, sharing the good news. People will hear, people will believe, they'll be sealed, and they'll be new creations in Christ. Now, it doesn't just stop there. It says this. Having believed, you are marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Say deposit. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What's a deposit? A deposit isn't the full payment. On this earth, we've received a deposit of the new life, of full redemption. Until that day where we are fully redeemed, there's some reason why we can be frustrated as Christians. Because there's coming a full inheritance coming to you in the future. Now let's move forward because I want to talk about a couple of other components of the Spirit's work in your life. But first we get to Romans 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Paul is saying this, I'm so thankful that some of you Ephesians, you heard the good news and you gave your life to Jesus and you have faith. You now have faith. And so he's like, I am so thankful. But watch this next part. It's pretty interesting. Remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What, Paul? This is kind of confusing because they already received the spirit. They believed. They were sealed. They're a new creation. So why are you still praying for those guys that have already come to faith? Why are you praying more and more? And why are you saying you're keeping on asking? Why are you continually praying for them? Didn't they get everything? Well, well yes and no. Paul is saying this. I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Let me equate it to this. Getting saved is like the first date. I, I was super excited when I went out on that first date with, my, with, with Stephanie. I was, she was cute. I had butterflies. Is she going to say yes? We went to a little coffee shop. You know, I'm going, I think this is going good. I'm liking her. I had little butterflies in my tummy. But what if I would have just stopped there? What if I, what if I would have stopped there? I would have missed marriage. I would have missed getting to know her. I would have missed that deep friendship and, and exploring the depths of the mysteries of that woman. And, and, and there's so many more great things, if you know what I mean, about marriage. And, and so, um, what, do you, what do you think about? And so, um, you don't want to stop at the first date. And so Paul's saying, I keep asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The second work of the spirit is the spirit's work of revelation. Say revelation. Okay, so we had the first work was salvation. Salvation is the doorway. It, it's kind of like this. Imagine if these guys that are going to Mongolia tomorrow, they're like, awesome. We got the money. We bought the tickets. They fly to Mongolia. They land in the airport, and they're like, sweet, we're here. We're in Mongolia. And they never leave the airport. 
Because they're like, I'm here, aren't I? I mean, this is Mongolia. We made it. This is awesome. They march around the airport. We're in Mongolia. Yeah. No. I mean, lame right? No, you, you want to get out and explore. You want to get to know the people. You want to experience the culture. You want to taste the food. You want to smell the smells, or some of them. And you, you, you want to experience all that Mongolia is. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, now that you're saved, don't just say, nice, I'm saved. That, that's how I felt growing up. I thought that, that this whole Christian thing was just about being saved. And then once you were saved, you looked back and you hoped that other people got saved. And you talked about that day when you were saved. And I didn't know that it was walking in this amazing kingdom where you're getting to know Jesus better. Did you, did you see that phrase? It said, so that you may know him better. Jesus wants to pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation on your mind so that you know him better. And that was something that was missing for me for years is I thought, man, I just don't really know God. I didn't know the Holy Spirit wanted to come and draw me into a deeper understanding of who he is, to draw me into deeper friendship. Listen to how the Amplified Version says it. Verse 17, for I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. You know, on a, on a date, you're just getting to know someone. You just meet them. You make their acquaintance. But then there's mysteries. There's depth. There's intimacy that God has for you. And that's why Paul's saying, let's cry out. I'm crying out every time. And this is maybe the prayer I pray most over my life. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you better. If you're bored in your Christian life, this would be a great prayer for you to pray. Because the more and more you get to know the unfathomable, mighty, majestic, splendid God the more your heart grows in passion and in love for him and excitement takes over in your spiritual life. It's not just that, though. There's several things he wants us to know. He wants us to know Jesus better. He also, though, wants us to know, in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you. He doesn't just want to reveal to you who he is, although that is the most important revelation he wants to give you, but he also wants you to understand your calling. Do you know that you have a specific calling? You have a specific reason that you're created. You're not just taking up space on planet earth. He has made you distinctive. He has given you very specific gifts. You're like no other person. And as you grow in your wisdom and revelation in the spiritual realm, the more you understand how God made you and why he made you and what part you have to play in his cosmic plan. And once you start knowing that, your heart goes from hopeless to hopeful. Because you see that God is intimately involved in your life and everything that's happened in the past, he's redeeming and converging to do something great with you in the future. 
So he wants to pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'd know the hope of your calling and then listen to the last thing. And the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you know, beloved, that you have a glorious inheritance coming to you? You have a glorious inheritance. Many of you would be so excited if all of a sudden one day you found out you had a rich, rich uncle that was a multimillionaire and you were about to inherit millions of dollars. Think about that. You're like, oh my goodness, mansions and cars and boats and millions of dollars. I want to tell you that you have a rich father that supersedes any rich millionaire uncle. And he has a glorious inheritance coming for you. And it's laid up for you in the eternal city, which is heaven. This is what Paul says, because this is a really interesting verse. And he makes a really interesting point here about our eternal inheritance. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's that saying? He's saying, hey, if it was just for this life that Jesus died for you so that you could know him, then you'd actually most be pitied. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because if we've gotten saved, we're like, oh my gosh, life is so much better. Because I have hope, I have joy, I have peace. But he's saying this, you know, our lives, once we are a new creation, we live so differently. And there's so many things that we don't do the same as the people of this world. For example... We don't just run after our sinful cravings. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow him. And so often we're looking and going, man, that's an easier way to go. That way we're walking a harder way. Or people attack us and instead of attacking them back, executing vengeance on them, we forgive them. And we're like, that was a lot harder to forgive than just get angry. Instead of just hoarding all our money, we give a lot of it away. That's harder to do. Instead of just trying to preserve our lives and be in, 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 in very peaceful and safe and posh places, we go to hard places like Mongolia. So the Apostle Paul, the writer of this book, is saying, hey, if it was only for this life Christ died, then we're to be pitied because you're really, you suffer. You get persecuted. You abstain from pleasures. You're holding yourself back. But, beloved, we have the hope of heaven. We have the anticipation of being in a place at the end of our lives where the Bible says there are no more tears, where there's no more pain, where there's no more sickness, where there's no more disease, where there's not going to be any more insecurity, where relationships are going to be perfect, where the death and decay and destruction will no longer be there. Instead, we will be in perfection. Your bodies, the things you don't like about your bodies, they won't be like that anymore. There'll be less around here, men, and more up here, men. We are going to be redeemed. But it's not just that. We will have face-to-face, moment-by-moment communion with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And everything that you've done on earth will be rewarded forever. Eternal reward and eternal celebration. That's where you're headed, people of God. And when you have that revelation, it makes life a lot easier because sometimes life gets really hard and you just think, I'm just trying to make it. But when you focus your eyes on heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God with eternal reward for you, you go, I can make it. I can do it. 
Because it's worth it because of the reward that will be mine, the eternal inheritance, the glorious riches of the eternal inheritance. Whew. Someone needs to start preaching up here. Last component. This is what it says. And his comparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, th- this is where I would get frustrated growing up. I would say, there is no power all my life. I, c- I can't even stay free from sin. And when I pray, nothing happens. But the Apostle Paul saying, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, there is power. Acts 1.8 Listen to what it says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. God wants to empower his people. I want to tell you that everything changed. From that time I was seven to the time I was 21, I was so frustrated because I was living a life that just didn't match up to the Bible. But when I was 21, I heard about the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon people to enable them to move in the supernatural to be witnesses. I'm not going to tell that whole story. Today you can find it on our app, on our All People's app, or on our website. It's the fifth session of World Mandate. I told the whole testimony of me being empowered by the Holy Spirit. God wants to do the same in you. But I remember being down on my knees, the power of God touching me in a very physical and, and, and demonstrative way and getting up from there and immediately going to the streets and leading not just one person to the Lord, but four people to the Lord, placing my hands on a sick person, their body actually contorting, shaking, changing, them crying, them explaining, I've been healed after 20 years. My life has never been the same since the power of God fell on me. You don't want to just stop at the Spirit's work of salvation. You want to cry out for revelation. You want to contend and call out for the impartation of His power. You see, there's salvation, and there's revelation, and there's impartation of His power, and we need them all working in our lives. And I want to tell you, it wasn't just for helping other people that that impartation of power came on me. John the Baptist said that you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I want to tell you, there was a new fire put on my life that day when I was 21. And I used to struggle to spend time with God. I couldn't spend like five minutes reading the Bible and praying. I was just so ADD. And man, I want to tell you, there was a fireplace in my heart. And from that moment on, I started spending an hour or two hours, sometimes even more, just in the Word and in prayer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit put His fire in my heart. I want to tell you, friends, that you want fire from the Holy Spirit in you, in your heart. And we desperately need it. Because watch these last verses, and I'm just going to end with this. Watch these last verses. It says, and God placed all things under his feet, that's under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, who who is the church? Exactly. But, But the church isn't just people sitting in gatherings. The true church are those who've given their lives to Christ, who the Holy Spirit has come in 
to their lives and regenerated them. They've been born of the Spirit. That is the church. He is the head of his body, the church. And listen to what it says about that. Which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every The fullness of him. I, I, I've got to say, and, and I love, I love all, I, I love all these churches. I, I've been to so many churches. I'm like a, a, a church hopper, shopper. Uh, my parents raised me going to so many churches. I just love the church. But I, I do want to say that there's so many churches where the fullness of Jesus is not operating. It's like the frozen chosen, right? Or it's like dead Ted. You know, it's, you know you're just. And Jesus deserves a bride whom he can be equally yoked with. And so Jesus wants a church that is full of the Holy Spirit. That's not just saved. Some, some churches people aren't even getting saved because it's not preaching the gospel. So I'm not just talking about people gathering in a building with a little steeple. It's people who have come to an understanding that they're apart from God and so they accept his free gift of his death on the cross and his rising from the dead, defeat, power of sin and death, and they get saved. But then they call out and they seek. I, I want to tell you, church, that salvation is free. But the deep things of God come at a high price. You've got to search it out. You contend for it. You drink. If I would have just sat on my rear, I would not have ended up with a great relationship with my wife. No, she wants to be pursued. You know, and I've, I've got to go, I gotta run after that girl, right? She moves fast. I gotta run. And if you wanna be close to Jesus, Jesus is going. Why do we always go to the nations? Because Jesus is going. Say, I just wanna sit at his feet. Well, then you better have a skateboard under you because he's always moving. <clears throat> so you run after Jesus, and then you, you cling to him, and you get empowered. By him. Well, I, I thought I had the Holy Spirit. You do, but it's kind of like this. It's kind of like you have your house, and in your house is an electrical socket. And you can go, oh, that's so sweet. There's an electrical socket. But it's when you plug in that all of a sudden, you got that power. And so that Holy Spirit that's come into your life, you got to say, now fill me with your power. Come on me. Let me plug into you and receive the power. So that. It can be his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Men and women, I'm jealous of the day when the church is filling everything in every way. For too long, the church has been on the periphery. We've been on the sidelines because people are saying, you're kind of irrelevant. You're just like a little group, you know, getting together and having your little social time. But when the church starts walking in their identity, when the church starts being full of revelation, then we have the wisdom for the earth's problems. When the church is walking in wisdom and revelation, then we are confident and we start embodying the love of Jesus to people and the love of Jesus is irresistible. And then when the church is filled with, oh, just hold on, it's gonna get better. When, when the church is full of this power, then we have power to meet the world's issues. All of a sudden, we're laying hands on the sick and they're being made well. We're casting out the demons that are afflicting people. And we have an answer when people have trials. 
And the church starts coming from the periphery onto center stage because people see that that church is supernatural. That church is powerful. That church is loving. And we need those people in our lives. Now you can clap. Yes. That's, that's what we want. That's what we want to be. Jesus is wanting a church that's full of his spirit. Jesus is longing for a church that didn't just get saved, but they're walking in a revelation of who he is, that's walking empowered by him. And I want to tell you, that's the kind of church this world needs. Always stand up.